Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister and I'm your host of the You Matter to Christ podcast formerly known as the Living a Better Story podcast. We're at 108 guests in. We're on season two, and this is our third conversation of the year. I'm so excited to have with me a guest, Tate Kelly, and we're going to dig into his background in sports and athleticism and how did he come to find Jesus. So with that, Tate, welcome to the show. Chad, love being here. Let's cook, man. This is me. a great little bit out of time. Let's do it. Let's dig in. I feel like we have to get out our guitars at some point because you're in Nashville. I have guitars on my wall. Maybe we should just bring the guitars there next time and we'll, we'll start out with some rock music or country music or something. I have an Eddie George signed Tennessee Titans guitar right over here. It's out of picture. So you let me know. We'll rock and roll on that. That sounds good to me. Well, to help our audience get to know who you are, I find that just like when Jesus says, bring the little children to me, right? And so a lot of times at five and six is really when we start to come into understanding who God made us to be. What was your passion when you were five, six years old? What did you like to do? What was your passion? Yeah, so I was fortunate that my parents decided to have a kid about 22 months after I was born. So I had a younger brother. So we were homeschooled, which is a whole nother story for another day and is really evolved me into who I am today in a lot of different reasons and ways. But man, my brother and I, I think we're competing. I mean, every single thing we could at that age. We both grew up, played competitive golf, played basketball, played a bunch of different sports. And so, yeah, when I was five to six, we were just going at it and really everything we could find, right? Tennis, yeah, we were wrestling around the yard. I remember him and I were wrestling one time and I tossed him and he ended up breaking his arm. And there's a million stories between Parker and myself probably led to our, both of our athletic careers individually, and I wish I would have had his body. I wish I was 6'4 and 240 pounds worth of muscle like he was, but it was really my brother and I growing up competing, a lot of tears, a lot of argument, uh, but at the end of the day, I think we made each other better, and yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of sports, a lot of rock throwing. You know the deal, Chad. It's just, we were keeping it fresh, being two young boys at that age. It was a pretty good time to live in Spokane, Washington. Oh, that's cool. My brother's name is Todd and he's about two years younger than me. Yeah, plenty of those fights. I don't think I got to the broken arm, but 
he might tell you he had a bloody nose once. <laughs> yeah. It always benefits the younger brother because they're always competing against you and your friends that are all older, right? And so I think it was critical in my brother's college Division One basketball career that we were two years older and then he got to develop with us kind of growing up. And so I take all credit for his basketball career now. <laughs> kidding, I take zero credit, but... Exactly right. So let's go beyond that, which is you get to college or even high school and college. How did life progress then? Because you were obviously fighting slash competing with your brother. What happened next as the life unfolded? Yeah, so I'll rewind a second. So I grew up, my mom was a very competitive runner, kind of post-college. And my dad was a Division One basketball player at Washington State University, played under George Raveling from... 1976 to 80. He was a high school American. And so I grew up with two very, very athletic, incredible bloodlines from a parent standpoint. So to say that my brother and I were genetically blessed from an athletics, an athleticism standpoint is probably an understatement. And so, I mean, we were athletes our whole lives. I mean, that's just was who we were. It's what we did. It's there was always kind of the end goal of where we were going to get right. And I think when you're growing up at that age, it's all about getting to college and getting a scholarship and it's funny, you like turn the tables now and you look back and you're like, wow, it was like, that was literally probably the least important part of that journey, right? Like that was, it's all the things that led to get to that moment that really you would look and reflect on and think, wow, that was dynamic. I was born and raised in Spokane, Washington. I grew up playing competitive golf, played basketball. And then in middle school, I started running. My mom was a very competitive runner. So I knew I had it in the bloodline and I started to run fast in middle school. So when, as I went to high school, Gonzaga Prep in Spokane, I was running, I was playing basketball, playing golf at a high level. I always thought I was going to go, I was kind of the golfer and my brother was kind of the basketball player. Genetically, he was blessed a little bit more from a height standpoint. So he was always kind of the, the special, unique hooper. But my game was really in golf. My hands and my motion and all that is just a God-given ability, right? It was just my timing. That was just kind of what I did. But as I got to age I think 16, 17, I'd been competing since I was eight in golf. And candidly, I was just burned out of it. And your goal that whole time is to be Division One athlete and to get that college scholarship. There's just a lot of grind that goes into that to get to that point. So I started running really fast kind of midway through my high school year or career and started getting some Division One opportunities in the running side. And I kind of ran towards that direction. I decided to run at Gonzaga University uh, where I was offered a scholarship to run and Really, it's funny because you look back, Chad, and you're like, wow, like that decision literally teed up everything else. You know, if I would have gone to Washington State or gone to Seattle U, like things would, I think, turned out in a much different manner than how they did for me. But like that moment, me going to Gonzaga really changed truly everything. I think it changed my trajectory of my career in life. Wow. Well, I see some of the trophies you have back there. I think I've got some of my swimming stuff and I played college lacrosse at Colorado State University. There was a story that I heard from a guy at a trophy shop in south of San Francisco in Belmont, where I used to live. And I had to print like 25 trophies for a sales team. And I was like, hey, man, I know you're closing in 10 minutes, but can you stay open and get these things printed and engraved, right? So he stayed for an hour after work. And I was like, so tell me, what's your story? He goes, well, I was the tennis coach at the high school. And so he goes, so when Tom Brady's mom brought Tom Brady to play tennis, I thought I was going to get him. And then he's such a good committal person that he would have committed his career to me in high school, but he stayed in the car and he decided, no, that's not what my future career is supposed to be. 
And he's like, so I could have had one of the best tennis players of all time, but I didn't. <laughs> and it's wild how those, just to your point, how those small little decisions, because he's arguably one of the greatest of all time, probably the GOAT of all time. And he could have been a tennis player. Yeah, especially a guy like that, right? I mean, he could play probably a dozen different sports. Like when you have that athletic gene, you just kind of have that athletic gene. So, well, he made the right call, probably financially too. He made the right call in the right sport. I think he made the right decision on that one. So I'm going to throw a curveball question because this is coming up where I'm helping a group put on the Pro Player Prayer Project in D.C. on September the 7th at the Museum of the Bible. So there's going to be 550 athletes coming together, not all athletes, pastors, athletes, entrepreneurs, and it's really the topic is prayer. So when we talk about your younger life and then into high school and then this decision that could have changed everything for you, right? You ran towards where you ended up at Gonzaga versus going the other direction with golf. Did prayer play a role in your decisions and in in your life? Yeah. I mean, especially that moment when you're in your high school and you're trying to figure out kind of what your next step is going to be in life, right? There was a lot of prayer I think, that went into that moment just in general. I was really fortunate I went to a, a Jesuit preparatory high school. And so the Catholic ways of going to mass and prayer were kind of always a part of the day-to-day within that institution, which for me, I was really thankful for. But the biggest thing for me was that it was a part of my athletic journey. It was a part of my day-to-day life. I was supported at home. I was just fortunate that I think throughout my life, it was always a consistent piece to leading me to where I was, right? And the older I get, Chad, the more I realize that prayer is the one common theme. Like that's the one thing you can rely on and back up on in your day-to-day walk to kind of help guide you because it gets really lonely if you try to start doing that on your own. And I've struggled with that through my life, right? I'm not saying I've mastered it by any means, but you know, when I started getting into moments where I'm struggling or just times where I'm just not centered, I, I feel that I'm lacking prayer in a lot of those moments. It started in high school or started it even before that, but I think your faith walk really starts and really evolves the older you get. And I think those high school years are critical kind of in that walk, right? So high school, college, and then now to my younger adult life, it's been a it's been a really important part because it's just helped guide me along this journey of there being a million different directions that I could take it. Right. And you don't want to make the quote unquote wrong decision, right? And so sometimes coming out of your own thinking and saying, okay, what would the creator of the universe do in this moment? And what was intended for me? And then leaning into that, it just seems like a very powerful moment. My son had a burn accident two years ago, face and hand, second, third degree. And so it was a prayerful three weeks. And as a result, he was miraculously healed. There was no other way. And that was my prayer one night. I just said, God, please give us a miracle where there's no other way to describe it as a miracle. And sure enough, when they took the gauze off his face and it was like, whoa, my son's back. And so when you know that God can heal, then it's like, of course, he can show you if you should be a professional golfer or a runner. Like, you know, like, yeah, ask the question, ask and it shall be given. Right. That's good. I love it. And when you get away from it, I've fallen victim to that many times where it's like there's those moments in your life where you're just not as on top of it. You get out of your flow. You get out of your 
groove, right? And the prayer piece is key because you can find consistency and peace in that. Like when I'm at my best, when I'm finding kind of my morning rituals, my morning path is locked in. And when prayer is kind of a centerpiece of that, that's when I can really find my groove and I find I have my best days. It's funny how that works, Chad. It just is, right? So, all right. So let's ask you this. Traumatic time or the gut punch. As a runner, you stubbed your toe to where it's like, oh, I couldn't run for 10 days. What's something that just hit you that was so tough at the time? And now looking back, you can say, oh, yeah, that moment changed everything for me. Something obviously that you're comfortable sharing on the podcast. Let me start with this one. So when you're growing up and your identity is so focused on being an athlete, you really kind of align your athletic identity with who you are as a person, right? And the better athlete you are, the more success you have, the better or higher you think of yourself, right? And so I really had a phenomenal journey in my athletic walk from grade school, middle school to high school and into college. And my freshman year of college, I tore my hamstring. I was doing a four by four, was open up the four by four for for Gonzaga, got on my toes that last hundred meters and my hamstring just popped and I fell down on the infield, never really hurt anything in a, in a big way, really my whole career. And so that was pretty monumental because that was really the first time in my life that I had my identity of who I was as a person stripped away from me. And that really was a really soul searching time because especially when you're in college, you're young enough that you're Tate the runner. That's how you associate your own worth. And I was injured for three months, had to sit in the sidelines, support my teammates, just go to practice and just be a guy there. And that was a really formative three or four months because I had to start getting myself ready for the next season. I was out a full three to four months. And I mean, a hamstring tear is a pretty significant tear. So it takes a while to get that kind of muscle back. I can still feel it to this day. Like when I get up on my toes a little bit when I'm running, like, man, that's still there, which is wild. But yeah, that was an incredible time in my life because it really forced me to start separating then my identity of how I look at myself as a person and the re- everything else, especially when you grow up in an athletically focused family and, you know, brother's a stud, my dad's a stud, my mom's a stud, and I'm trying to be a stud and you lose that identity. It, it's really challenging. I mean, I use prayer a lot in those moments. I remember, I mean, you just have more time to kind of internally check in on yourself, which that was kind of the beginning of, I think, one of the steps in my life that I was like, wow, like this is my walk with the Lord is a key one because it, it really gives me something to back up on in those times when you're struggling. Man, that's so deep because what you said is it stripped me of my identity. And so I think of God sees us as perfect right? He made us in his image. So when you pull that out, all the ego aside and everything else, and you realize you're perfect, whether you run fast or hit a golf club the right way, you're perfect to the audience of one, right? And you're not having to perform to the audience of many. So I think that's very important for people that are listening to this, who are maybe going through that pain of feeling being stripped of their identity and knowing that the other side is, you're going for that for a purpose. So that's so good and so deep. Amazing. And the fact that you can still feel it reminds me of my son. I just went and saw the Denver Nuggets game with him the other night at a bar. He turned 21 recently. So we went and watched it at a big screen somewhere. Nuggets versus Miami. 
And he still has a little scar on his right finger. And we're like, hey, we can probably get that taken care of. And he's like, hmm, there's something to going through the fire and having faith and having the reminder of that that is important to him, I think. So it's pretty interesting that you still have that feel every once in a while. And you're like, huh, I am important to Christ. <laughs> I give the analogy of tattoos, right? So I have two tattoos. One's the Jesuit emblem here. I'll give it to you here. The Jesuit emblem got from Gonzaga Prep. But on Majra Made Gloriam, it's for the greater glory of God. And so I have that one. And then I have a G with wings on my knee here, right above my knee, which is our high school emblem from Gonzaga Prep. And my high school coach died passed away in his mid-40s, got leukemia. It was my wedding. We were just wildly close. And I always, like, whenever people, like, get tattoos and they remove them later in life, I'm like, man, it bums me out because, like, that was something important enough to you at that moment in your life that you decided to have it permanently put in your body. And so, like, to your son's point about the burn or to my torn hamstring kind of nagging little rip that I feel every once in a while, like, there's something about those moments that you're like, man, that was really, really important to me at that point in my life. And that's what helps forms us into who we are now, right? We're just constantly being molded, as you know, by the Lord. And it's just, I don't know, it's wild, Chad. I mean, I can go into it, but I won't go into it right now in this second. But yeah, I mean, I just have had so much, like, just looking back even this last month after my 32 years of life and thinking, wow, the molding that's happened from age zero to age 32 is wild. And I'm candidly so excited to see what these next hopefully 32 years looks like because you think you have figured out at so many different points of life right and then you get totally humbled totally brought to your knees I mean I recently went through this I was unemployed for the first time in my life the last two weeks and again back to the identity right my identity was so closely tied with my career sports you're an athlete division one athlete worked in the NFL led national sales worked with Gonzaga worked for University of Oregon Athletics and that becomes, over time, your identity, if you want it to be or not. That's what people think of you when they think of you. And it's been really good. I mean, it's been really hard. Don't get me wrong. The last two, three weeks has been brutal. But it's been also really unbelievably forming because I've had to really rely on my faith and rely on that there's a plan and really actually like, put my money where my mouth is, right? And actually like believe that because when you're going through those dark and difficult times, it really checks you and shows you who you actually are. It's really easy to be awesome when things are going really well. And when things continue to get better and better and better, it's really easy to feel great how things are going. But when you get kind of punched in the mouth and you have to figure out kind of who you are, or at least get reminded about who you are and what you actually stand for, pretty good. Well, it's interesting because I've talked to a number of people, maybe two or three in the last two years, that made one bad decision in life and went to prison for one reason or another. One guy's name is Jarvis, Jarvis Guthrie. And he was at a party. He goes out of the party and he's a very good wide receiver. He's going to go into college. He's going to play football. And then he goes to this party, comes out of the house. He thinks he's going back to the same house, but it's not. And he kicks the door in. It's a police officer's house. And the police officer's gun jams. And then he Pistol whips him, and then the kid wakes up at a hospital with handcuffs on. And so he's like, I'm the all-star receiver. What are you talking about? And apparently, you can either plead for mercy or you can plead your case. And so most people say, okay, I'll take the 12 to 18 months. So he goes in for 18 months. And he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. Best thing that ever happened to him. Because he met Rodney, the pastor, 
And he was given a number in the prison. It happens to have a lot of sevens in it, kind of like an angel number. That was kind of neat. And now he got to spend time with the Lord and get to know the Lord. And so a lot of us are busy living in our lives and we say, oh, I'm out of a job or whatever the challenge du jour is. I lost a friend or I lost a family member, all the stuff that happens. And those really are the times where we can lean in. These guys who go to prison have 18 months of it and then they get out. And man, their walk with the Lord is so much tighter than most people that I ever meet in society. So yeah, I honor the two weeks or maybe four or however many it is you have. It's good time to reconnect. It's needed because you just, yeah, when things are going well, you just are always, you're feeling great and you're enjoying the grind. But when you're forced to hit pause and you're forced to kind of check your identity, it changes the deal a little bit, which is good. There's a lot of prayer and there's a lot of reflection and there's a lot of like, I need to understand there's a path and there's a journey here that I'm on and I got to go through this. I don't know. You feel like you're doing everything right. When you hit those tough spots, Chad, you just are thankful. It really reminds you of how thankful for you are for the good times. And it makes you kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, let's get through this. Well, I'll tell you what, when I was with a company called Ring Central, we hired Josh Bordner, who was the captain of the Boston College football team. And he was supposed to play for Detroit Lions, didn't get on that team that summer. And so he came to work for me. And his ability and acumen was so far ahead of anyone on planet Earth. He went to President's Club three years in a row. I haven't looked him up on LinkedIn recently. I'm sure he's a manager or doing whatever it is he's meant to be doing. And so that skill set and that motivation and desire and what you have in the bottle, so to speak, it's important to, to know that if you just move that one degree off to any sales role, any market, like whatever you want to do, you can kind of do. And you know that. <laughs> That's the fun thing, Chad, about sales is you really control very little and you try to act like you control all of it. I always say like you only control 10% of the sales process. We even like to act like we control probably 90% of the sales process and we control really, really little. So yeah, to your point, love it. Yeah. So obviously you had the hamstring injury, you recovered. Is there a time where you remember, sometimes I've heard God yell at someone on their couch. I heard God showed up. This woman in college was attacked by someone. She was raped and Jesus showed up for her outside of the window while that was actually going on. She saw Jesus weeping for her. So yell in your ear, weeping, like, I hear in parables, God talks to me through parables at night and I wake up and I'm like, okay, got it. Or a music song will be playing in the morning and I can't shake it. And so when I listen to that tune, is there a time where you just, you knew God was talking to you through other people or through something like that? I've never told the story. I saw when you, I saw your questions. I was like, huh, I guess I think I'll share this finally. So I think it was when I was five or six. So back to our five to six age, which I never talk about, but I was going across the street. So growing up in Spokane, we lived out in North Spokane. There is, you go across the street and that's where our mailbox was. One of those communal mailboxes where you put your key in, you got your key, you got your mail and you walked away. So that was kind of what I did every day for my mom was I'd go across the street and get the mail and bring it back. So I'm going across the street one day and it's a nice day out. For whatever reason, I grab the mail, start kind of going to get across the street. I look right, didn't look left. And I go to run across the street and a car comes flying down and almost hits me, veers off, 
doesn't hit anything, somehow stays on the road, veers off, stops. I go hide in a bush because I'm like, oh my goodness. At the moment, you're so young and you're just like, wow, that almost happened, right? I've never told my mom this. I've never told anybody this happened because it was just so wild. And you're like, well, that could have been it for six-year-old Tate, right? I think back to that moment commonly because you reflect and you think, wow, probably should have hit me. He didn't roll his car. Nothing traumatic happened to him. But how different things would have been or could have been, right? I mean, I get hit. I'm paralyzed. There's, everything could have changed. I would have missed out or my life would have just been greatly altered from what it was at age six for Tate to what it is now at age 32. And I think back upon that moment commonly because there definitely was a hand in that of my journey and the Lord saying, hey, like this is not either A, your time or B, the time for you to get paralyzed or for something bad to happen to you, right? And I think back upon that moment pretty consistently because for me, like, like in my running journey, like how important my legs are, right? Like, You just don't know how that moment could have changed literally everything going forward because even from college, it teed up my career and teed up my sports career and me being in sports biz and all of it, right? And so it's, I don't know, it's wild. I do think back upon that moment because it was, even though I was a little guy, it still is wild to think how much worse I could have gone. Wow. And it's neat that you go back to the moment from time to time because the extra innings part of the conversation, we were in a car accident. I was in a head-on car accident, basically. I was turning at an intersection, so I wasn't going very fast, but the guy was going 50, and I had a convertible Chrysler Sebring Classic, so you couldn't see out of it very well. It was 1 p.m. on a Saturday in Lake Havasu, Arizona, and we were out too late the night before, and then we're driving to go pick up this pontoon boat, and there's a friend in the front seat and a friend in the back seat. I was driving and I went to turn, clear the intersection, and a car comes barreling through and hit us going 50. And so he flew out of the car and people in the police report say it looked like someone picked him up and placed him on the side of the road. And I've read books about angels and it's like a truck actually goes through a person. And so what you've just described is like the movie The Matrix where it's like, whoa, the world bended that day. And I'm very familiar with that because my friend ended up getting on the helicopter, flight for life, a woman was holding his hand the whole time. And he goes, who was the woman? And there was no woman. They're like, no, there was nobody there. And so it was an angel. And then after he got home three months, he said an angel would come into his room every night. And I've seen angels many times. To him, he's just like, Chad, no, that spooks me. So he put a Bible out and he's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't have the angel here anymore. But of course that happened for you. So that's really amazing. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, I still think back and I'm like, wow, like how differently that could have changed everything. And actually, as you say that, I'm like, how did he stay on the road? How did I not get hit? I mean, it's wild. Wow. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure talking with you. Maybe we'll be able to get you the info for the Pro Player Prayer Project that's coming up. This Darren Gray, who wrote the book, The Jersey Effect, with Hunter Smith, he's putting it on cool, cool guy. I've met him four weeks ago and I can't get enough of helping him. (laughs) So I know a few people you should talk to in the sports world, the sales side of the house. So maybe there'll be a conversation there too. But I really enjoyed the conversation. If you were to leave our listeners with one final thought based on everything we've talked about today, what would you tell them? Yeah, believe in your journey. Know there's a plan for you. Know that there is a greater purpose for what you're doing. I've been through it in a weird way the last few months, actually, from trying to leave sports, trying another, go into med sales, and then kind of now being realigned back into sports career. And 
again, I speak about my job because it's such an important part of who we are as people, you know, as we become adults and I'm candidly continually working on that, not being a part of my identity, but just enjoy the journey, stay present and trust that there's a plan because there is one. And sometimes you have to be kind of realigned to believe that and to truly trust that. But I've been through it recently and I get it. And I can just speak to the power of prayer and to the power of knowing that there's something greater than us. And sometimes it feels like we're doing this on our own, but there really isn't. So keep enjoying the journey. Keep believing, keep believing in what's above that's, that's kind of guiding us on this journey. That's right. Enjoy the journey. Well, everybody, thanks for joining today. I reached Tate Kelly on LinkedIn. So if you want to get a hold of him, you can find him there. And I thank everyone for listening today. And remember, you matter to Christ. Catch you next time. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ. Christ.